This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Hello and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters. I'm Greg Watson. Lovely to have your company here. We're going to be talking real estate, of course, and property matters. A little bit about the market. Uh, After that, a number of projects that are happening in this region that you might be interested in, knowing a little bit about and knowing how it might affect house prices. And then we'll just go see where we go from there. So lovely to have your company today. The first thing I wanted to talk about was the House Price Index, which is uh, brought out by QV, Quotable Value. And they've noted that prices continue to surge even with the onset of the loan-to-value ratios. And most investors are now required to stump up a 30% deposit to grow their portfolio, and owner-occupiers require a 20% deposit. And this is from the start of March. So they quote the general manager, David Nagel, who said, with capital gains averaging over 15% for the last 12 months, we're still seeing many investors restructuring their finances to get around these restrictions. Investors will need a 40% deposit from May 2021, which could finally dampen their ability to compete with first home buyers for the very limited affordable housing stock. Now, I've mentioned before on the show that I disagree. I, I believe that investors will still find ways to, to buy investment property uh, just by rejigging things with regards to lending against equity and so forth. You see, in a high-growth market, particularly the likes of here in Manawatu and uh, Wanganui, where things are going up 25 to 30% in a single year, it doesn't take long for investors to reach 40% equity if they have multiple properties. So we'll just see what effect that has. It may have an effect on people who are just buying their first investment property. So we'll just take a wait-and-see approach. Let's, it's May, it's only a couple of months away, and we'll see the results a couple of months after that. Now, all of the major urban centres are showing strong gains in value, but Palmerst North is leading the way. This is nationally leading the way. 9.4% growth in the last three months in the average value of a property. 9.4% growth in three months. That's really significant. The Twin Hawks Bay cities of Napier and Hastings aren't far behind with both cities showing a quarterly growth of 8.9%. So normally on the show I report annual growth, which as we may be aware, Palmer's North's been 24.1% in the last 12 months, but as much as uh, 9.4% in three months. Now that's an incredible return, an incredible return on investment. Where could you put your money and then three months later get that sort of return? So we're going to see where where it's going. We may see the market cool a little, but as I mentioned, I don't believe there'll be much uh, to slow the overall market. The essential factor is around supply and demand, uh, not affordability. So they're trying to address supply by stopping investors buying properties. Um, I don't think it's enough just to change the LVR ratio. Okay, let's have a look at some more uh, local news here. And the Kiwi Rail proposed Kiwi Rail Freight Centre near Bunnythorpe is uh, slowly inching closer. The call has gone out for the public to have their say on Kiwi Rail's new freight centre, planned to replace its yards in Palmerston North's Tremaine Avenue. 
The City Council has formally notified Kiwi Rail's notice of requirement to designate 177 hectares of land. In case you're wondering about the size of a hectare, it's approximately a rugby field. So 177 hectares of land between Milson Airport and the village of Bunnythorpe to the west of Railway Road for the project. The milestone in the process follows the grant of $40 million from the Provincial Growth Fund to plan and purchase the land for development. So this, this notice of requirements is just part of the process. Kiwi Rail's Executive General Manager for Property, Olivia Polson, said it was pleasing to reach this point. She says the regional freight hub is an important project for Manawatu and we welcome submissions from the public and stakeholders. It anticipates attracting between 2 and $4 billion of investment from businesses wanting to base at the road and rail distribution centre, such is the value to those businesses of having an easy and fast freight distribution option compared to what they've got now. So residents will have the uh, ability to to be involved in that process, of course, yet at the end of the day, uh, Kiwi Rail has provided uh, 24 pages of material on how it expects the community will be affected and it's estimated that 431 households, about 1,265 residents living within the area of designation and up to one kilometre away will be affected during construction and once the centre is operating and they'll need to purchase 24 houses. It also recognises that the area will be changed from mainly rural residential into industrial. Not to mention the road links between Palmas North and Fielding will also change with railway road closed and replaced by a new road, the removal of level crossings and links to a proposed new freight ring road around the city. So I've got till March 26th to lodge a submission around that plan. Here's something not directly related to housing, but I just thought it was interesting and uh, quite a cool headline. From, uh, it says, Mercury puts energy into Palmerston North's CET arena. So Palmerston North's uh, new corporate citizen, Mercury, is contributing towards a makeover of the Central Energy Trust arena. The developers of the Turretia Wind Farm have granted the City Council $150,000 to pay for LED lighting displays on the new pedestrian bridge leading into the stadium, and it's certainly taking shape down there. And uh, it's a eight-metre-wide bridge, so it's really quite significant. And people walking over the bridge into the arena will get an eye-level view of the illuminated images. And on special occasions, they can change with possibilities of Anzac Day or racing cars for speedway events, etc. It's part of the $17.1 million makeover of the venue already underway, including the new speedway pits, space for the south stand, and the entrance plaza on the corner of Cuba and Watergrave streets. So, so the work is hoped to be finished by the end of April. Mercury's Chief Marketing Officer Julia Jack said the company was pleased to be supporting the wider community beyond the direct benefits of the $465 million investment in the Wynn Farm project. We're delighted to add a wow factor to this much-loved part of the CET arena. The key benefit to the City Council from the wind farm relates to royalties for allowing transmission towers connecting the wind farm to be erected through the water catchment area of Turretia Reserve. So once the 66 turbine wind farm begins generating, it'll be worth about $800,000 a year. And the first payments are expected to be due in the 21-22 financial year, amounting to an estimated $500,000. And because the money comes from the use of the reserve land, it is legally required to be spent on the operating costs for city reserves. So that's something which is really quite interesting. I mean, it all goes into the pot at the end of the day to, to help out. 
This article about house prices in Palmas North um, had the headline, Palmas North average house price to hit $1 million by 2022, which is an incredibly sensationalist headline. But based on quotable values February report that I talked about earlier, um, prices have been shooting up nearly $1,000 a day on average as the city's median price hit 674750 So QV property consultant Jason Hockley said at that rate, the average house price in the city would be a $1 million by the end of the year. And he says the mind boggles that we would not hit an affordability ceiling before we hit that. However, the Reserve Bank's restrictions on home loans have kicked off from the 1st of March. Uh, although, again, those in the valuation industry as well don't believe it will do much to call the market. Hockley said the critically low level of house listings, few sales, and the high level of outside interest in Palmer's North properties was worryingly similar to the lead-up to the 2008 global financial crisis. He said that prices rose faster over the past seven months than at any point in the last two years leading to the market crash. One thing, though, is a difference, I guess, between 2008, in in my opinion, and what is happening now is the sheer amount of infrastructure work and people moving into the area compared to to back then. So we'll just have to see see where things go there. But at the other end of the scale, I reported on this show around the middle to late last year that there was a Palmerston North house that was being given away by developers uh, on College Street, now, and it was free to anyone who could pay to move it. Now, unfortunately, it's now going to be demolished after the owners said they couldn't even give it away for free. So the six-bedroom house on College Street was first offered to anyone that could afford to take it to a new location around the middle of last year and several failed attempts to sell the semi-renovated homestead. Ray White real estate agent Stu Fleming said the offer sparked a lot of interest and within a month a take was found who was very keen on the house despite facing an eight-month wait before the local removal companies could shift it. Ultimately, the cost of moving the house proved too much for them and the owners have started preparing for it to be knocked down. Why is it so expensive? Well, none of the job itself is too difficult since a homestead would have to be shaped up beautifully, oh, sorry, as it would have to be cut up, I should say, and none of the removal companies were keen since they could shift several smaller houses in the same time it would take to move this one. So therefore the house movers who would take the job wanted two hundred dollars to $300,000 to help cover the costs of other jobs they'd have to give up. And for that reason... Uh, the property is going to be knocked down. Now, things going up, conversely, as the Lagoon housing development is forging ahead now with its second stage. So the later stage of this high-profile, high-end housing development is taking shape. So phase two of Wallace, Wallace Development Company's Centennial Park residential subdivision is scheduled to be finished in December and it's already changing the face of Centennial Drive. I don't know if you've been down there recently or not. So it has 47 sections, sections at the southern end of the development and they're, they're some of the 130 lots the company is creating ready for houses to be built across three stages. So stage one with 28 sections was finished last year and all those sections have been sold and houses are springing up. 13 sections from Stage 2 have already been sold. So Holt Contractors has been awarded the job for Stages 1 and 2, which involves creating the infrastructure to get sections ready for builders. Buildings at Manakura School's former Kuraawa campus were being demolished and the gym was coming down, said Wallace Development Manager, uh, Manotu Regional Manager Vanessa Thompson. It was hoped concrete blocks from the campus could be used as part of the fill. 
So it's really interesting to see how that's going along. The average section size for stage two is 550 square metres. The smallest is 321 square metres and the largest just over a quarter acre. That's re- they say that we'll recognise that people are moving away from the quarter acre section mentality and a lot of people love the idea of a lock and leave scenario. At the foot of the Manawatu River stop banks, a memorial grove of trees planted to remember Palmer's North teachers, college staff and students who had died will remain. And plaques found nearby will be incorporated into a planned sculpture. So we'll just watch that spot and... Uh, It's going to be really interesting to see how that ends up looking in due course. Now, Palmist North, another article here by Paul Mitchell, uh, is running out of land for new housing as sections are gobbled up faster than the subdivisions can be developed. Brian Green Property Group and LJ Hooker sold most of the residential sections in Palmist North and neither had many left available. Brian Green said there were no unsold sections left in the city apart from a handful of more expensive plots of land in the 400 plus price range. Demand was so high, Green had sold out of sections that won't be ready until Christmas and he won't have any more available till next year. And Green said one of the biggest barriers to catching up to demand was how long it took to get areas zoned or rezoned for residential use. I've got a 24 hectare bit of land around Stony Creek and Calvin Grove I've been trying to get sorted for years. That's 220 sections that could get going right away the, sections, the second the City Council rezoned it. Just a reminder that the government recently announced it was scrapping the Resource Management Act and will be making reforms over the next two years to speed up access for land for housing. Brian Green's response, we need new sections now, not in three or four years. If we don't get them soon, the city is going to stop growing. So that's a bit of of an interesting thought there as well. Now we're going to have a little bit of music, we'll go for a break and after that we'll talk a little bit more about uh, what's happening around the place and whether it's good to sell your home privately as opposed to selling through a real estate agent. But here's the music, it's Adele, Water Under the Bridge.
and you're back. You're listening to Property Matters on MPR, Manawatu People's Radio. Te reo irarangi o nga tangata o Manawatu. I'm Greg Watson. It's lovely having your company today. Before the break, we're talking about things that were happening locally. And now we're going to change tack slightly to an article that I saw on stuff. And I thought I'd share this with you. It's called, Is it worth selling your house privately? The pros and cons of going it alone. So... According to this article, it says, how hard can it be to sell a house right now? All you need is a house, some professional photography, a sign, and a lawyer, right? So why pay thousands of dollars to a real estate agent? Private sales made up just 14% of all residential property sales in New Zealand in the year to July, down from 20% in 2017-2018 and down from 23% in 2014. Bruce Patton, mortgage advisor for Loan Market, has been in the industry for more than two decades and he has sold half a dozen of his own houses in that time all through real estate agents and wouldn't do it any other way. His current home is now on the market with an agent. There's nothing wrong with doing a private sale, he said, but my personal view is that I don't want the hassle of negotiating and I believe firmly that by selling with the agent I will make more than they will cost me in fees. Patton says he wouldn't trust himself to be the best judge of how much his property would sell for. His clients who thought their Auckland home would be worth a maximum of $1.5 million, and then it sold for $1.8 million. So even if the agent's fees were 40000 he said, the couple still made a quarter of a million dollars more than if they'd negotiated a price themselves. When the market is so buoyant, people think, oh, sell privately. But my concern is that you might be doing yourself out of way more than a commission, he said. And I find that when I talk to people about selling privately, of course I congratulate them for selling their house, and they usually delight in in telling me that they've saved money on fees. So here's something which is based purely on statistics, this next part. According to the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand, the median price for properties sold by real estate agents was 15% higher than private sales at 673000 compared to 585000 So let's just analyse that for a moment. The At 673000 I would imagine, and I'm a little bit out of touch, that your fees might be something like $15,000, and you're getting almost $100,000 more, $90,000 more. So it's a really big premium. And Chief Executive of the Real Estate Institute, Bindi Norwell, says that this is the highest premium the Real Estate Institute has seen in 18 years. This means an agent, agent's true value when it comes to a property sales process and outcome is the best it has been since 2002. Interestingly, the majority of people who sell privately or sell by negotiation, uh, suggesting that perhaps the use of auction or tender as marketing sales technique could be one additional reason for the premium. And just to elaborate on that, uh, one thing that real estate agents do is they have techniques to uh, almost ensure, I think it's fair to say, that uh, there's multiple offers in a competitive situation and that's where they really show their value. But listed.co.nz's co-founder Todd Rankin-Hurst believes the industry membership organisation's figures don't show the whole picture because they also include transactions selling to trusts, parents selling to their kids and off-the-plan sales. These are often not sold at market due to their nature, he argues. Rankin-Hurst believes a fairer comparison between agency sales and only properly marketed private sales. So... He says that if that comparison made, you should see a similar sales price but a much better cash and hand outcome for the vendor because you aren't paying a 4% commission on the sale to an agent, which are stats above uh, that I've talked about 
um, don't show that. And, and in my experience, um, again, it's the techniques and the contacts that the real estate companies have which tend to help get better value. So a Nelson couple, Fiona McConaughey and Graham McGrath, sold their home to first home buyers in a private sale. The couple looked at sales of similar properties to gauge the market and set a price, asking for offers over a certain amount to avoid lowballing. McConaughey described the experience as positive, but said not every vendor would have the time and energy necessary. You need to put time into it. I turned it into my full-time job for a few weeks. McGrath grew weary of the hordes of viewers. It was stressful, of course, selling a house always is. But the fact that we didn't have to deal with agents was really good and we saved between sixteen and $20,000 in fees. And again, that's the feedback that I tend to hear from people that sell privately. They look at um, not paying fees rather than what price they may have got. In January, 4% of properties for sale on TradeMe were listed privately and that compares with 7% in January 2020. Selling a house is not the same as selling furniture or even a car, said Trade Me Property Sales Director Gavin Lloyd. It's likely to be the most expensive transaction that most people are ever going to make. It has some complexities and a bunch of legal considerations, and for this reason, many people choose to appoint a licensed real estate agent. Currently, there are just over 500 properties for sale on Trade Me which have been listed privately. But attracting interest is only one part of the selling process. People unaccustomed to the process are often surprised by the extent of facilitation and handholding that is required to bring interested buyers to the table to make an offer or to attend an auction. If you do decide to sell your home privately, your target is to get a similar price to what an agent would get. Selling privately may give the seller more direct control over the negotiation process. However, with complete power becomes complete responsibility, said Real Estate Authority Chief Executive Belinda Moffat. You have a legal obligation to share all the relevant information about your property, such as any issues with the boundary or title, any unconsented building worker alterations and known weather tightness issues and whether they are proposed developments or whether there are any proposed developments that could have an impact on a buyer's access, views or enjoyment. So if you fail to do that, you could put the sale in jeopardy or even be taken to court for compensation. When weighing up whether to sell your home privately, consider whether you have the marketing and negotiation skills needed to do a good job selling what is likely your biggest asset, said Moffat. Our advice to those who are considering selling, considering selling privately is to gain an independent valuation, don't sign anything that hasn't been approved by your legal advisor, and don't be afraid to walk away if you feel uncomfortable. It's your house and your call, concludes Bindi Norwell. Now the important thing there to realise is that uh, and, and when a, I guess the amount of money that can be achieved uh, through a competitive situation is not to be understated. We're seeing examples here uh, where the difference between the two highest offers can be up to or around in our current market about sixty thousand dollars. So again, to give to there's plenty of uh, anecdotal evidence where prices have well exceeded what real estate. Salespeople have thought they would. Um, so if you've got an appraisal on your house, then decided to sell it privately, uh, those appraisals sometimes are selling for up to $100,000 more. But if you just went and listed your home privately at that higher price, there's much more to it than that. You'd find you'd have very few inquiries. And, uh, and it's really the real estate um, agents who are fantastic at negotiating upwards and providing or finding plenty of buyers and finally, final article today, uh, the first real estate agency warned for anti-money laundering failures. 
So a nationwide property buying company has been issued with formal anti-money laundering warning. So real estate agency property brokers failed to comply with anti-money laundering and countering financing of terrorism laws, the Department of Internal Affairs have said. This is the first formal warning issued to a real estate agent. Property brokers who have more than 80 branches around the country and employ over 700 staff help people buy homes and commercial properties. Mike Stone, the director of DIA's anti-money laundering team, said property brokers had failed to meet several of its obligations relating to the establishment, implementation and maintenance of its anti-money laundering programme. That included the hiring and training of compliance staff. They also failed to have adequate policies, procedures and controls for monitoring compliance or to follow guidance material from anti-money laundering and countering financial terrorism supervisors, Stone said. But he said the company is not alleged to be involved in any money laundering or financing of terrorism. Stone says that real estate is a high-value asset often used domestically and internationally to launder and invest criminal proceeds. Businesses have an obligation to have robust processes in place to protect them from misuse. Our inspection of property brokers highlighted concerns and we have a responsibility to act on those concerns. New Zealanders need to have confidence and trust in the integrity of the New Zealand financial system. So the company was required to take immediate action to rectify all areas of non-compliance and would continue to be closely monitored. Penalties for continued non-compliance could result in civil penalties of up to $200,000 for individuals and $2 million for companies and even sentences, sentences of imprisonment, he said. So that's where um, you know, Property Brokers has described itself, according to this article, as experts in real estate sales, providing service and support to home buyers and sellers. So the anti-money laundering just means that real estate companies have to report anything that might look a little unusual and have all the processes involved around that. So no doubt they will uh, fix it up and move forwards. And that's all we've got for this week on Property Matters. I'm Greg Watson. It's been lovely having your company. You can find this on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, dot NZ, or alternatively, where all good podcasts are found. Have a great week. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.